Hey, it's me, your host, Preston Shuttlesworth, back with you again for yet another episode of the podcast. Really thankful for you taking time to listen to this podcast, wherever you are and whoever you are. Very thankful that you've decided to take some time to listen to the Word of God today, and I hope it will help you. I believe I have something that will stir your spirit up. And I've mentioned this before on previous podcasts, but the reason why my schedule for these is uh, kind of inconsistent and crazy is I try my best to come on this podcast when I feel like I have a message that's a good podcast message in in terms of a podcast message is different than an in-person church service preaching or even a teaching inside of a church because... The, the dynamics itself are different. Obviously, uh, when you're speaking on a podcast, it's much more personal and almost like a one-on-one conversation uh, in the dynamics of how it is. And also, I like podcasting because I believe there's a lot of topics and subjects that you can deal with on a podcast that might not be the best in-person church messages or things that you'd hear on a Sunday morning from your pastor. I think podcasting gives ministers and me uh, especially an avenue to speak on things that I think about all the time, I pray about all the time, but I understand wouldn't be very effective in a church service. And so I have one of those messages with me today. Um, if you've seen me speak or uh, you've seen videos and things like that, I'm not a very um, note-bound person. In the beginning, I used a lot of notes because everyone is, mostly, that when you're getting started. But mostly, um, I have a few thoughts or key scriptures in my spirit, and then I just flow with the Holy Ghost and preach that way. But I actually have quite a few notes that I wrote down for this episode in particular. And obviously you've seen the title, uh, which is The Soul Trap. The Soul Trap. And uh, I want to just give a brief introduction to what this podcast will be about. If you've been listening to the episodes I've released in the previous weeks, and I guess even months now, uh, I've been focusing on what I felt the Lord leading me to speak on, which was holiness righteousness, and the Holy Spirit. And I've dealt with in many episodes how those things are all interconnected, how you can't live holy apart from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit in and of itself, by its very definition or adjective describing the kind of spirit that it is, is holy. And I've kind of been dealing with the modern young church movement, a lot of the things that we're seeing now um, be very prevalent and popular with young people when it comes to Christianity and it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I always make the statement, I try my very best to not come off as a mean person, a critical person, uh, a confrontational person, but I've come to understand and realize that part of what I believe God's called me to do is be somebody that is not afraid of the repercussions or the consequences from people, the criticisms, the mockery, 
the uh, people that will reject what you speak, that's all a part of being a gospel preacher. If you're not willing to be criticized for what you believe and what you believe that God has anointed you to speak about, then God will be very limited with what he can trust you to say. And so I desire, and I know a lot of people that listen to these episodes also desire this, I desire to be somebody that God can use to speak on whatever's on his heart. And I believe that you can understand what's inside God's heart, how God operates, how God thinks, by obviously the reading of his word, by fasting and praying, and by being led by the Spirit, because God, the Bible says, is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. And so, you can understand the heart of God by living a life that's led by the Spirit. And so, one of the things I'm going to deal with on this podcast today are the three parts of man. And I've dealt with this before, but I want to hit it from a different angle than I think most people are used to. The three parts of man or woman or humanity which make up who you are. And those three things are your body, the thing that you live in, your vessel, I guess, if you will, that you um, you run with, you move with, you wake up with, you shower, you brush your teeth, <laughs> you do your hair, all that kind of stuff. Your physical body, that's one part of a human person. The soul, which is going to be very, very vital for today's episode and teaching, and what's on my heart today, your soul, and then your spirit. And uh, one thing that I saw that I really I really loved this, and it was uh, something I've heard my uncle Tiff Shuttlesworth, who is an evangelist, uh, is an amazing, amazing evangelist. Many of you probably know his son Jonathan, who's also an evangelist, a mighty, mighty evangelist. And uh, one thing I really liked that I saw my uncle Tiff say is he said when he broke down the three parts of man he said your body or your flesh as the as the bible would call it many times is a representation of your lowest potential as a human being as a person your flesh or your body your carnal instincts your uh, carnal nature things like this passions of the flesh all this kind of stuff that we deal with um, really strong right now, especially among young people in today's society. Um, we, we always have, but even especially now, we can see how a lot of that stuff has been ramped up to a level that we've never seen before. Um, that represents your lowest potential as a person. That's one thing Michael Tiff said. Then he said your spirit, another part of who you are as an individual, the second part, if you will, of what makes you who you are, your spirit represents your highest level of potential as a human being. Your spirit represents what the greatest outcome of your life, what it could be. If you live a life that's given over to the spirit, that is the highest potential of who you can be. That's the second part of man. And then what I would say, and I think most preachers would say, and this might surprise you, and it's something I had to study for myself, but what I believe to be the most important aspect of a person, and I'll explain why I believe it is, the soul. And my Uncle Tiff gave, uh, not I guess, the example or the 
display. I don't can't really think of a, a word to describe it, but the soul is the place of decision, the place of decision. So I'll go through that again very quickly. Your flesh or your body represents the lowest potential of who you can be. The spirit represents the greatest or the highest potential of who you can be. And then your soul is the place of decision. The soul is the place where you decide what will rule you. Will my spirit rule me or will my flesh rule me? And Galatians, 5, Galatians chapter 5 deals with this. And I want to open up. I guess it's not really open, opening up now. It's 10 minutes into the podcast. But I'm going to read the beginning part of the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians to understand where I'm coming from from the word of God today firsthand, first of all, uh, because it's very important. Again, I don't know why Michael Tiff's kind of a trademark of this episode, but one thing he also says is, you should start in the Bible, you should stay in the Bible, and you should finish in the Bible when you preach. And uh, I desire to be that kind of preacher, and so I want to begin today in the Word of God. But one of the things I'm dealing with in this episode, the soul trap, is a dangerous place that I believe the modern church has gotten and has fallen into, especially when it comes to people that are gaining traction and are very popular and are very gifted, and it's the soul trap of what I'm calling it, or this ability to master the soul of people. The soul uh, incorporates a lot of things, but some of the major things are emotion. You know, if you take notes, these are great things to understand about your soul. The soul represents emotion, your mind, your intellect, your will, all of these kinds of things are wrapped up in what the Bible calls your soul. And it's very important to understand the distinctions of these three parts of who you are as an individual because it helps you have a battle plan in life of how to be victorious in every aspect of your life. And so, one of the things I've seen, and I guess it's just part of who I am, and it's, again, it's, maybe it's just up to me to embrace that part of my preaching and, and, and run with it because God needs people to call out things that need to be called out. But one thing I've seen, and again, I'm trying to be as kind and loving and um, Christ-like as I can in this, but Jesus called out a lot of stuff in his ministry as well. You can read all about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And... um one of the things I've seen is this people that are mastering the soul, people that are getting very, very adept and skillful in the soulless realm. They understand how to move people's emotions. They understand how to make things mental, mental ascent, how to make people feel like they're smart and they're intelligent and they're very wise in the aspect of earthly wisdom, all these kinds of things, but there's a very weak emphasis on the spirit. And so, again, one of the things I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast was I believe, and I believe most preachers that have studied this out would also agree in saying that the soul is the most important aspect of who you are. Why is that? Well, that's because the spirit 
Yes, it's the highest potential nature or outcome or possibility of what someone can be. But the spirit, the Bible says, is willing. But the flesh is weak. And so in other words, the Bible's saying your spirit, once you get into that place of the spirit, walking by the spirit, you're in perfect relationship and union with the Holy Spirit, with your spirit, then you're in a place where it's almost like not cruise control, but your spirit will always do the right thing when it's in line with the Holy Spirit. When those things are walking together and in unison, the spirit will make the right decision. The spirit will want to please God. The spirit will want to pray in the Holy Ghost for an hour a day. The Holy Ghost will stir up in your spirit a desire to read God's word every day, to go to revival meetings and all of these kinds of things, good things that will benefit you. So, in other words, the soul is the place of decision. The soul is the place where you decide, will I obey my spirit or will I obey my flesh? Because the flesh and the spirit have both decided what they will be. But the soul, your soul, is the deciding vote of what your life will be. Will you cast your vote in the side of the spirit and live a life of joy and life and peace and what God's way is? Or will you cast your vote, your soul, into the realm of the flesh and the body and carnal nature and desire and passions of your flesh and all this kind of thing? And go the way of pain and turmoil and chaos and destruction and heartbreak and ruin and chaos. Will you choose that instead by casting the vote, if you will, of your soul in that direction? And so I want to read, again, being the preacher, taking forever to get to my first scripture for this podcast. But I want to deal with this from the Bible because it's very, very important. And I'll get into the, into the podcast later on why it's so important. But let's read in Galatians chapter 5. I have an ESV Bible. It's what I read from. And in verse 1, the Bible says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, who's writing the book of Galatians, say to you that if you accept circumcision or separation, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again, verse 3, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law or the word. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law alone. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, again, the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Verse 7. You might be kind of surprised as I'm reading this. Like, I know I was when I read this, but I just studied it out. But let's keep reading. Verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision or separation, why am I still being persecuted? And so Paul, 
in the book of Galatians, writing to the church of Galatia, is having the same issue that I seem to be have having with these uh, past podcasts. That he was being persecuted for preaching separation or circumcision, which was a, uh, a symbolic act that people did. I'm not going to get into the details of what it is. You obviously probably already know what it is. But what it really was, was a sign unto God that you've separated and you've made covenant with what he's asked you to do, especially as a man, because only obviously a man could be circumcised. But basically the idea of it totally is separation, being distinct from the world because you've come into covenant with God. And so Paul says here in Galatians 5 and verse 11, he asked the question, he says, why am I being persecuted for preaching this message of circumcision or separation? In that case, continued reading, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for what? For the flesh, Galatians 5.13 says. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so this is a perfect uh, scripture and text to take for these issues. Because Paul, again, as I was mentioning before, he was dealing with what I have been dealing with, which the resistance from people to accept this message of circumcision and separation and living consecrated unto God. But then also, you notice how he wraps up that those scriptures there, where he says to be careful not to consume or destroy one another by f trying to fulfill the law without the Spirit. And so, in dealing with this podcast today, that's the balance we have to get to. Of course, you can speak against something and speak into people's lives. You can speak a word of correction if it's from the Bible and you feel stirred to release it, but it should always be spoken with love and with the ability for, for people to repent and then come back to the Lord and live for Him. But there always must be someone. The Bible in the Old Testament refers to them as watchmen upon the wall. People that will see something that's harmful and destructive, trying to creep its way into the body of Christ, trying to influence God's people, and they'll call it out for what it is and speak against it so that people will understand where the line is drawn in the sand. And so, one of the main reasons why I'm dealing with this is because of what Paul talked about. He says, you were called to freedom. That's a key verse for today. I want to read those again, actually. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. And so, again... Here's the thing. God has called us to be free. God has called us to be set free from the law of the things that used to be 
and establishment for the Israelites and the, and God's people before Jesus established a better covenant built upon better promises. The book of Hebrews says, we are not any longer bound by traditions and laws and you know, we don't have to do all the things that the book of Leviticus talks about with, you know, not cutting the hair upon our temples and um, all of the things. I can't off the top of my head name them, but all of the many, many, many laws that were within uh, the old covenant under uh, in the Old Testament, things like that. But though we were called to that freedom, the Bible mentions Paul writes and he says, don't abuse that freedom and use it as an opportunity to gratify your flesh. You know, it's kind of like that thing, that phrase people say where if you give someone a taste of cat food, eventually they'll come back for the whole cat. And I've really never understood that reference because why cat food? But, you know, you understand the example. Basically what it's saying is that once people get a little bit of something, eventually they'll come back and want the whole thing. And so a lot of times what happens with Christians is they'll read about God's grace. They'll read about God's forgiveness, about God's second chances and third and fourth and fifth chances. And they'll read that and they'll say, oh, wonderful. God has given me a grace. God has given me endless opportunities to come back to him and repent. And yes, the God we serve is a God of forgiveness. But Paul warns the church of Galatia and says, don't use that freedom that God's given you from the law as an opportunity for your flesh. And honestly, that is exactly what people have done and are doing in the modern church, especially those leaders, you know, 30 and younger. They all look the same. They all wear the same outfits. I don't understand how it's cool. Everyone has the long tees with the graphic designs and the baseball hats and the tight jeans and the Yeezys. And they all do their worship in like this black room with these black curtains and a single piano and like 40 people gathered around the piano singing and then two lead you know it all to me it all looks the same everyone's copying each other everyone looks the same everyone wears the same clothes everyone wears the same hats everyone has the glasses with the frames that they don't really need because they have perfect vision and it just looks cool they all have the 17 arm wristbands and they all look the same. They all look like they need a shower. You know, this kind of stuff. That's, again, I'm trying not to be mean. But I'm just saying that culture is driving people right now. The soul is driving people right now. Emotion is driving people right now. Young leaders in the church gravitate towards it. They love it. And I and I jokingly put on my social media, a few, I guess a few days ago now, and I said, I finally have figured out what my generation needs. More worship music. <laughs> and obviously I said that in sarcasm because that's all we have right now. That's all we have right now. Why is that? Because of shallow Christians in leadership. People that have not taken the time to study God's word. People that have not taken the time. You know, the Bible says you can't even be approved by God to be a worker if you cannot rightly divide his word of truth. You can't even be elected to be a minister. You can't lead other people to somewhere that you've never been. How can someone teach me calculus if they don't even understand long division? There's a process to these things. There's steps that have to be taken. Paul wrote and he said, let us move on. 
from the elementary teachings of Christ. Let us move on from being fed upon by milk and let's move to the meat of God's word. There's a progression. There's things that you understand as a baby in Christ and then you grow up a little bit and you become a toddler and then you can walk and then you can do certain things. You know, it's kind of funny. I guess I'll I'll make fun of myself a little bit. But uh, <laughs> you saw on my uh, Instagram, if you follow me, that I wanted to get a motorcycle. I had this desire. I was like, man, that would be so fun. You know, in the summertime, driving around, it looks so cool. You know, whatever. I was like, you know what? That would be so cool to get a motorcycle. But newsflash, and this is not a joke. If you thought this was a joke where I was just being funny and like sarcastic, absolutely not. This was totally 100% real. If you didn't see it, I never learned how to ride a regular bicycle. (laughs) I never learned how to ride a two-wheel, non-motor, non-electric, just a regular old bicycle. (laughs) You know, that thing that everyone probably knows how to do by the time they're six or seven years old. Um, Everyone has that moment when their parents take them out and teach them, and they grab hold the back of your seat, and they run with you, and then eventually you're, you're pedaling, you think your parents are behind you, and then, you know, they're not there, you're riding on your own, and you have this moment. Listen, I never had that moment. I don't know what it was. You know, I grew up in church my whole life. We were always in revival meetings or, you know, our own camp meetings at our church or traveling somewhere. Also, I was a very, like, I was a house dweller. I was always inside. You know, just whatever. I don't know what it was. It was just it never happened, right? And so it would be foolish of me, no, to go out and buy, you know, whatever, a $5,000 motorcycle and think that I will be able to ride that motorcycle when I haven't even learned to ride a bicycle. And so I learned how to ride a bicycle, I guess, last week. Now, only took me like 20 minutes. You know, it was a little embarrassing in the beginning, but I eventually got the hang of it. And uh, I, I give that example, again, to tie in to this progression that the believer's life should have with the Word of God. And the danger that there is right now in the body of Christ, because, listen, there are people in leadership in the modern church, young ministers, young worship leaders, these people, that they don't know how to ride a bicycle, yet they're in motorcycles trying to lead other people where they want to go. But let me tell you something. Worship will not bring you where the word can't keep you. If you want to worship, you know, people think worship sets them free. Worship doesn't set you free. The Spirit of God sets you free. And the Bible says the Spirit and the Word should always be in agreement. And so you can't usher in the Spirit of God without the Word of God. They're a tag team. And so once you get to this place where you're writing songs about a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow and you're writing songs about all this random stuff that has nothing to do with God's Word, has absolutely nothing, no foundation of a biblical root that is God's word, then all you've done is is you found a clever way to use your gift to get people into the soul trap. Again, the podcast title for today. You found a clever way for people to be influenced by their mind, their will, their intellect, and the wisdom of the world the place of the soul, emotional. Man, if there's one adjective that can be used 
to describe this generation when it comes to God and the relationship they have with God. It's emotional, emotional. Listen, they're full of zeal. I, it's great. I'm, I'm trying not to rain on the parade here, but I have to speak what's on my heart because they're full of zeal. They're full of passion. They love God. I know they love God, but how can you love a God that you know nothing about? How, what, what they love is this idea of God that they've conjured up in their head through their soul and through their mind and through their emotion. But that is not, I'm trying to get the right words here because I try to be careful, but that is not true Christianity. True Christianity is not in your emotions. True Christianity is not in the soul. The soul, yes, it is the most important aspect of man, but the soul is not where you stay. The soul is where you decide. The soul, again, is the place of decision. It's the place where you make a choice. But people, Christians, listen, hear me today. Christians have decided to take up permanent residency in their soul, in the realm of their soul. But as long as you stay there, you will never be truly free. That's why the same people answer the same altar calls for 15 weeks in a row for the same issue and the same problem, and they never get truly set free because they don't respond to the word of God. They respond to the worship song from the latest Christian album. But hear me today, as long as that's what's driving you, your life will be a constant cycle of problems, chaos, and pain because your soul is not the answer. Your soul is not the place where God works. The soul is where you decide to give everything you have to God and to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so avoid the soul trap and understand that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is what brings the freedom. Again, I quoted it before, but again, do you not know? The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or there is liberty. The Spirit is freedom. The Bible says in Isaiah 10, 27, it says the anointing is what breaks the yoke of bondage. And so what you have right now is people that are gifted but not anointed. But let me tell you something. Gifts don't break yokes of bondages. Anointings break yokes of bondage. If you take notes, write that down. Giftings don't break yokes of bondage. Anointings break yokes of bondage. And so, again, avoid the soul trap. Avoid this emotional place where everything remains the same. Where you get all of these eyes on you. You get the biggest platforms and the brightest lights and the coolest graphics and the nicest t-shirts and the cool hats and this entire look where you know people will think that you're something. But in reality, you are a mile wide and an inch deep. You got nothing to offer when it comes to true deliverance because your emotion and your soul will not bring what you're believing for. And again, I'm trying to come from this from the place of a Christ-like love and like what Paul said, don't bite and devour one another, but watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I'm not trying to have biting words today. I'm not trying to devour people, rain on the parade, crush everybody's dreams that 
have embraced this kind of thing. But I'm saying this out of a place of love because I desire for my my generation to walk in the complete freedom that's found in Jesus Christ and is produced by the Word and the Holy Ghost. But if you get caught in the soul trap, you'll never walk in that complete freedom. Hmm. Romans 5, again, a key part of what we're talking about. Don't use God's gift of freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Listen, a lot of these people, and I'll, and I'll never use names on these podcasts. I made that mistake once, and I never will make it again. I won't ever use names. I'll deal with the principle from the Word of God. A lot of these people, they use their gift as an opportunity to gratify a flesh nature. They're very carnal people. You can see it on them. You can see it in their eyes, uncleanness. Use The Bible says that if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, there are nine gifts of the Spirit. One of the gifts is the gift of discernment. And most Christians are extremely poor when it comes to utilizing the gift of discernment. Understanding what's real and what's not real. Understanding what's genuine and what's dishonest. What's phony and what's pure gold. You have to get to a place where you have discernment. And you can say, this person has a gift, but there's an uncleanness in them. And it shouldn't take a blatantly gross Instagram post or something to understand that. You should be able to see it beforehand and understand that is in the heart of that person. It shouldn't take this open, blatant, big sin or some problem or issue or uh, controversy for you to understand what's in the heart of these kinds of people. You should be able to see it from a mile away through utilizing the gift of discernment that you have if you are filled with the Holy Ghost. So don't use God's gift of freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't do it. The Bible says it's something that people will do. They were doing it all the way back when Galatians was written. And this is exactly what the modern church has done, especially, again, those millennial age leaders, people that are rising to prominence right now. They get millions of views, millions of eyes on them. It's wrong, and it will not set you free. It will keep you in a cycle of problems and pain. And let me just say this, that there is an unhealthy dependency upon gifted musicians in modern church. I've, I know people personally, I've heard story after story, musicians that are hired on Craigslist, people, pastors that know that these people are going to a club on Saturday night and playing music in a club, serving alcohol, they're getting drunk playing music, playing secular music on a Saturday night in a club, they wake up on Sunday morning, they get hired to play music for a church, and they're the ones leading people into the presence of God because they're talented musicians, because they know the latest Christian album, they know the songs everyone's singing, they know the verses, they know the chorus everybody's humming, they know how to do it, they know how to work the game, they know how to play people's emotions, they know how to get into the realm of the soul, and people 
will cry when they worship to these people and they think it's the anointing, but they don't have the discernment to understand that they're in a soul trap and they haven't entered in to the almighty spirit, which is the freedom that you're looking for. Just because you cry doesn't mean it's anointed. Just because you get goosebumps when they sing doesn't mean it's anointed. You can get goosebumps listening to Alicia Keys or Beyonce or John Legend or whoever else, Katy Perry. I don't even know. I'm, I'm such an old, like, I don't even know who's, like, popular now. But you can get goosebumps listening to whatever because those people have mastered that even more so than these Christian leaders and musicians have. And so don't be deceived by emotion. Don't be deceived by your soul tricking you to think that something is of God when it's of the flesh or if it's of the soul. Again, the soul is not necessarily evil. I want you to understand that from my from the word of God and from what I believe. The soul is not evil. The soul is the place of decision. The soul is a temporary place where you have to master your soul because your soul is what drives your life. You know, uh, your soul also encapsulates your heart. And the Bible says in Proverbs 4 that you should guard your heart for from it flows the issues of life or other translations would say determines the course of your life. And so your heart is not your spirit. Your heart is that, again, that emotional place. David, I mean, you're right. You think of what David wrote in the Psalms. You know, I will, my, I will magnify you, God, but from my soul that he got, that David, excuse me, had to stir up his soul to praise God in the spirit because he had to force his soul to make the decision to press into the spirit. And so again, the soul in of itself is not an evil thing, but it's a, it's a place where you have to master it to get into the spirit place. But most people stay stuck in the trap of the soul. They just stay in that place because they think, well, at least it's better than the flesh. But that should not, the soul is not your final destination. The soul is the place of decision. I've said it over and over again in this podcast. But you have to get that today. Because so many people right now in church and leadership, they do not get that. Either they don't have teaching on it, either they do, but they've rejected and rebelled against what God's word has said. I don't know each individual case. But it is something, like the writer of Ecclesiastes said, Psalm, he said, there's an error I have seen. I have seen servants riding on horseback, and I've seen princes walking on foot. In other words, he was saying, there's an error I have seen. I've seen God's people in a place of slavery and subjection, and I've seen those that should be under subjection to us in authority on the horseback leading them. And so, on this podcast today, there is an error that I have seen. There's an error that I have seen that the Word of God clearly teaches against. And so, if you take notes for these, write this down. Worship doesn't set you free. The Spirit of God sets you free. Hmm. And then, again... Always in tandem, the Spirit and the Word. I believe it's John 8.32 off the top of my head, where Jesus said that the truth that you know will set you free. 
And so, again, the truth that you know, the word, speaking of himself, how do I know that Jesus was speaking of himself in reference to the word? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And so Jesus was the word made flesh that dwelt amongst us, the Bible says in John 1. And so the spirit and the word are what set people free, not worship. Worship in and of itself is not what sets you free. Worship is what you do once you have been set free. Clear distinction. Worship does not set you free. Worship is what you do once you have been set free. Because the Spirit and the Word set you free. Jesus is what sets you free. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is self-sufficient. Jesus doesn't need a piano. God the Father, <laughs> in the beginning of time, Genesis 1, He didn't need an instrumental to be playing for him to speak, let there be light, and there was light. His word alone accomplished the task of what he was creating. He didn't need music to do it. I mean, you think of the early church, you think of the Act, the book of Acts church, you think of any time that Jesus ministered. He, Jesus didn't travel with a band. <laughs> you know, it's not like, it's not like uh, Peter played bass, and John the Beloved played drums, and Thomas was on keys. <laughs> you know, the disciples weren't Jesus' traveling band. Do you think Jesus got into a, like a black room with blacked-out curtains, and he had uh, Bartholomew get on the keys and start playing, and then Jesus stood up, and with all the disciples around, just began to record like a sick worship set? You know, <laughs> that's not what happened. But you think of the early church, you think of the ministry of Jesus. There wasn't even music being used in this time. It was straight word. It was straight deliverance, straight demonic possession. People getting like set free from demonic possession, the dead being raised, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, all this stuff. Didn't need Eddie James to come and play solo. Didn't need Chandler Moore to come and sing a song. Didn't need it. Why? Because Jesus was self-sufficient. The Word does it. The Spirit does it. The Word and the Spirit are in unison. And I'm not trying to say that worship is useless. It's not useless. It's very, very beneficial and good. Everyone's commanded to worship. Everyone's commanded to give God praise. But when you've attributed more than it's worth to these things, it's a dangerous problem to have. You know, there are a lot of people that think they pray when really all they do is worship. To pray, I mean, I remember in Bible school, we would have morning prayer, and I stopped going like the first two times. One, because it was at 6 a.m. I didn't want to go. Secondly, because you get in there, and they play worship music so loud, you can't hear yourself think, and people aren't praying. They're humming along to the song that's playing for the prayer time. And so I just thought to myself, this isn't even prayer. This is like humming session for 45 minutes, and then we get in a circle, and we pray for 10 minutes about whatever, and then we dismiss. I'm cool. You know, I'm good. Like, I'll just pray personally, because most people, a lot of people, they never learn how to pray. And when you don't learn how to pray, you can tell. I mean, these people that get up and pray, 
and they use Father God 17 times in their 40-word prayer, you can tell they don't have a personal prayer life. Because the more you pray, the more you talk with God, the more you develop and get intimate with how you speak with God, the better you will be when it comes to a public speaking or preaching or anything else or praying. But most people think they have a prayer life when all they do is they play worship music and they hum for an hour. And that's not prayer. It's a soul trap. What are some consequences of this trap? What are some negative effects upon young people that have occurred because of people being stuck in this trap of the soul? Mental instability, anxiety attacks, crippling insecurity. And let me tell you something, that's prevalent right now, especially among young leaders. Crippling insecurity, panic, depression, suicidal thoughts. Why? Because if you're only in this place of emotion, you've given all these footholds for the devil to speak things in your mind because your spirit is what keeps you in a place where you can overcome these thoughts. I mean, you think of how Jesus dealt with the temptations of the devil. He didn't deal with, you know, <laughs> when the devil came to tempt Christ when he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights before he began his ministry, when the devil tempted Christ, Jesus didn't respond by breaking out into a tune. <laughs> you know, Jesus didn't start by breaking out into gyra. You know, Jesus, you are enough. You know, Jesus wasn't breaking out into that when the devil tempted him. What did he do? He responded to the devil with the word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How do you deal with the voice of the devil? The word of God nullifies the negative words of the devil that he would try to speak in your ear and put in your mind. How do you win the battle of the mind? By standing upon the word of God. For this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so victory is produced by your faith, which is born out of hearing and hearing by the word. And so Jesus, in that situation and circumstance, in that really a battle, it wasn't much of a battle because Jesus obviously conquered and had no issue, but he was still a man. He was still tempted in every way as we yet sin not, the Bible says. He still had to use the word to overcome the attack of the devil. Those temptations, those lies in his ear about, you know, how he would give him all the world if he would just worship him and all this stuff. And so, what are some consequences of the decision to stay in the soul? To be in the soul trap? Mental instability. I mean, I see churches now, full gospel Pentecostal churches, some of the best churches that God's raised up in the past 150 years, especially in America, bringing in mental health counselors for their Bible school students. I mean, what's going on? I mean, what attack of the devil is so great? What lie from the enemy is so powerful that the word of God has become of none effect the word of God is insufficient. The word of God is good, but it needs things added unto it to make it fully accomplish what it says it can. 
that now you need the help of a psychiatrist or a counselor or a therapist to be brought into a full gospel church or a full gospel Bible college to educate the youth and help them not be overcome by depression, anxiety, and fear? Who lied to you? What voices are these people listening to? It's a soul trap, man. And I'm saying it a lot, but it's so true. It's so true. I mean, I know there's probably a lot of people that as I'm speaking, you resonate and you understand and you are like, man, you are so right about that kind of stuff. It's happening all over the place. Not just in the Methodist church where they're doing, you know, ordinations of openly homosexual ministers. You know, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Not the Methodists or the Wesleyans or the Lutherans or the Presbyterians. Full gospel, charismatic Pentecostal churches allowing this stuff into the body. Where are the watchmen on the wall? Where are the people that will say, this is not right. This is not what the Bible says. This is not our promise. This is not within the covenant which God has established with us. We are not going to yield to an antichrist spirit. We are not yielding to a spirit of fear. Where are those people that are not so afraid to speak against these things because they don't want to lose their platform? They don't want to lose their offering givers. They don't want to lose their monthly partners. They don't want to be criticized. They don't want to have enemies. They don't want to be spoken against. They want to be friends with everybody. They want to take selfies with Justin Bieber and Beyonce and Jay-Z. They want to officiate the weddings of people in blatant sin. They want to drink alcohol at their weddings. They want to engage in sexual activity outside of the covenants of their marriage. And so guess what they do? To hide their sin, they encourage the sin of others. To hide their sin, they preach a sloppy grace message to cover up what they do behind closed doors. Oh, I know it by the Spirit. There's people, hmm, there's people that are light on sin because behind closed doors, they're engaging in the very same sin. Absolutely. Not just congregants, not just church people, leaders, ministers, preachers, engaging in this stuff, afraid to speak out against what the Bible clearly says is sin and is morally wrong, afraid to choose a side. And let me tell you something, the devil owns the fence. You've probably heard, maybe you've heard that expression. What does that mean? It means if you ride the fence, you've chosen the side of the devil. Because even Galatians 5, what we've been reading today, what does it say? It says a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. And it's kind of a strange expression in 2021. But what it's really saying is a little problem, a little issue, something that you think is small, that creeps in and gets into the whole body, the whole thing. It corrupts the whole body. I mean, that's like saying, you know, I have a, my body's pretty large compared to poison. You know, poison can fit into a glass. My body is much bigger than a glass. And so if I ingest this poison, it's not going to affect everything. It might affect a small part. No. If you drink poison, though it's small, it will affect the whole body. 
In the same way, sin, when you partake of it, though it seems small, once it gains entrance, once it enters in to you, it affects the entire part of who you are, though it seems small. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's the little foxes that spoil the entire vine. The fly in the ointment. I mean, there's so many examples the Bible uses. And in King James English, it can be kind of hard to understand. But that's the gist of it. A small thing in the eyes of a man is big in the eyes of God. God demands perfection, even. He said, be perfect even as I am perfect. And that, that's impossible to accomplish without the Holy Ghost. Understand that. And so people have changed their doctrines on these subjects because they've stayed in the soul so long that now they seem to find it impossible to live a consecrated life, to live holy. And so what they've done is they've changed the Bible. They've maneuvered and bended and twisted every scripture they could find so that they could stay in that soul trap and do what they want their flesh to do and do what they want their soul to do and feel clear in their mind and their conscience to not feel guilty, to not feel judged. Oh, that's a big thing. Oh, you're judgmental. You're critical. You're a Pharisee. You're unkind. You don't have grace. I don't hear any grace in your voice. Understand, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the power that comes from Jesus to live free from sin. That once you were a slave to sin, but no longer. Hallelujah. Jesus broke the bonds and the chains of sin. And now, instead, you have been yoked with him into righteousness, into holiness and purity and consecration. No longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave to your flesh and your carnal nature and desire. Hmm. Consequences of the decision to stay in the soul trap. The second leading cause of death, hear this. The second leading cause of death among people, young people, aged 15 to 24, is now suicide. Mind medication has now become the most prescribed kind or type of medication in the United States. Second leading cause of death among young people, suicide. The most prescribed medication for all age groups now in the United States, the U.S., mind medication, sleeping pills. People cannot find rest because they're in the soul or they're in the flesh. The soul is not where you live, it's where you decide. And I pray that you choose the Spirit. The Bible says godliness is profitable unto all things. Godliness is profitable unto all things. Godliness, this is very, very important and encouraging to understand. Godliness is profitable unto all things. If you live holy, you won't have to get divorced and split your money with someone that doesn't love you or love God. You won't have to pay 
child support because you had sex out of wedlock and now you have three children, <laughs> you know, hopefully not three, but what I'm trying to get across is that when you live a life of sin, you pay the price for it. You have sex outside of marriage, you indulge in that pleasure because your your excuse me, your flesh craves it, and because of it you pay the consequence of a child born out of wedlock, born outside of the covenant of a marriage between two people. And now you have all these problems with the family of the person that you had that baby with. You have to pay the family, you have to pay the woman that you had the baby with. You have to do all these things now. You have to jump through all these hoops and all this stuff, all these obstacles that would have never been there because you engaged in sin and sin has a price. The ultimate price being death. But I'm not even getting to death yet. I'm just getting to when the Bible says righteousness is profitable unto all things. What do I mean by that? Well, if you get married first before you have sex, if you enter into covenant, if you marry a godly person, then you can establish a family in the way that God intended. You can raise them the way that God intended. You don't have to pay the price for a temporary pleasure of sex outside of marriage. That's just one aspect. Um, I mean, I remember sitting at a table with some friends and, uh, I didn't know they drank. I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't know they drank, but they started ordering drinks. And I was like, what? You know, it's kind of confused. But anyways, that's not the point of what I'm talking about. But I, I asked the question. I said, how much do those drinks cost? And uh, they didn't answer me. I don't know why. I guess they just felt embarrassed or convicted or I don't know. They just, I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. But then um, I decided to pay for the meal. You know, this was a very unique situation. I was, anyways, um, I don't usually hang out with people that there's alcohol at the table. I'm just giving this example. So I don't, I don't want you to think I'm going out drinking. Obviously, I'm not. So this was a very unique situation and all this. But I remember looking at the check because I decided to pay for the table to be kind. And um, on the check, I could see that the most expensive thing out of all the food we got out of everything was the alcohol. By a large amount, by a large percentage, the alcohol was way more expensive compared to the food. And I just thought to myself, what a waste of money to buy some smelly, gross, it cannot taste good. People say it tastes good. They're lying to themselves, man, because when that thing comes to the table, it smells bad. When they drink it, their breath smells bad. I mean, there's nothing good about it. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I guess it's just the feeling of it. But... It's so expensive, I thought, what a stupid ho hobby to have, or what a stupid um, thing to partake in. The most expensive thing at the table is the alcohol. I mean, that's how restaurants make their money. <laughs> I remember when my sister got married in Italy, the venue that my mom rented to have the wedding in was very disappointed because they were asking us, or asking my mom, excuse me, in the planning for the wedding, what kind of alcohol they wanted to be served at the wedding. The venue, funny enough, was a vineyard. And obviously, we don't drink wine, we don't drink alcohol at all, but it was a beautiful place in Italy, a beautiful property, a beautiful venue, and they were a vineyard. And so they were very disappointed to hear that we were not going to be requesting alcohol, we were not going to be drinking alcohol for the wedding. Because, first of all, it's a vineyard, so they're known for their wine, I guess, whatever. They're known for the best stinking 
beverage, whatever, the best beverage that smells bad, smells like pee. They are the best at it, I guess, in Italy. And so they're disappointed because they make most of their money by the alcohol that's served at these wedding parties. And so when the Bible says that godliness is profitable, like literally, not just spiritually or whatever, godliness is financially profitable. Godliness is financially profitable. I mean, you think of these guys that they go on their Tinder app, they go on their dating websites, their dating apps. They got to spend all this money on all these dates with all these different girls. They got to pay for Ubers. They got to pay for all this stuff, blah, 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 you know, and it's not profitable. (laughs) It's literally not profitable financially. It's not profitable in your spirit. It's not profitable for your well-being, your mind. It's not profitable for finances. It's not profitable for your future family. Godliness, on the other hand, is profitable unto all things. And let me tell you something. It's not wrong to desire God's best. You know, Preston's being very judgmental today on the podcast. Preston's being very unkind. He's a Pharisee. Whatever. I don't care. I've heard it so many times, it's like numb to me. It just sounds like buzzing at this point. But let me tell you something. It's not wrong to pursue holiness. It's not wrong to desire God's best for your life. And getting outside of even the realm of sin and sinful lifestyles, religion, a spirit of religion, and I've been around it, not in my church or my family where we come from, but I've been around religion, like oppressive religion. And religion, one of the things I've noticed that it does is it convinces you that you don't deserve God's best. And I'll explain that. Because they'll, they'll never actually say that in a sermon or how they conduct services, how they do things. But what it does is it puts you in this place where it makes you feel inferior. It makes you feel broken. It makes you feel unworthy, unqualified, undeserving of God's best. And so religion will teach you that you're a sinner saved by grace and that you're nothing and that you're garbage and that God's best is not for you because of all the mistakes you've made, because of your past, because of where you come from, because of who your parents are, because of what skin color you are, because of what income bracket you grew up in, because of what part of town you grew up in, because of what kind of shoes you have, whatever. All of this outward nonsense junk that religion will use to teach you that you don't deserve the best of what God has. That's why religious people are broke. Religious people are stuck in the soul trap. Religious people stay in the same place their whole life. Religious people never see healing. Religious people never see miracles. Religious people have their name written on the prayer request bulletin board for their church, and it's the same prayer request on the same name for 17 years with no answer because they're bound by a spirit of religion that refuses to allow them to ascend to the next level in God, and God is only pleased by faith. God is not pleased by what you think he'll be pleased by. God is not pleased by your eloquent words. God is not pleased by your poem. God is not pleased by your stained glass window and your turned collar and the way you look and the way you dress. God is not 
uh, moved by because your women don't wear makeup and because your women wear floor-length skirts and because your women can't wear pants in the church. God is not impressed by all that you think he's impressed by. Well, let me tell you what God's impressed by. God is impressed and moved by faith. God is not, hallelujah, I feel the anointing on what I'm speaking on right now. God is not impressed by religion. God is not impressed by the enticing words of man's wisdom. God is not impressed by the science. God is not impressed by the facts. God is not intimidated by a doctor's report of stage four cancer. God is not moved by the way of the world. God is not moved by the CDC or the trade market or the stock market or what the WHO is saying. God is not moved by your pompous behavior. God is not moved by your eloquent speech. God is moved by faith. And faith comes by his word. So until you get out of that cycle and that trap, you'll be the same person next year as you are today or wherever or whenever you're listening to me right now. You have to make a decision to break that cycle, that trap. It's like a tar pit that people stay stuck in and fossilize like dinosaur bones. I hate religion. How about that? I hate religion. Jesus despised religion. You want to talk about Pharisees? I'll talk to you about Pharisees. Pharisees are the ones that on the outside, they look like whitewashed tombs, whitewashed sepulchers. They look beautiful. They're ordained. They're, they have, excuse me, not ordained. They're ornated. They have beautiful pictures on the outside. They have marble carvings of flowers and pompous things. It looks so beautiful on the outside, but on the inside of that whitewashed tomb, that whitewashed sepulcher is nothing but dead man's bones, is nothing but death, is nothing but ash, nothing of value on the inside. I don't want that. I don't want to live my life that way. It's not wrong for you and I to desire God's best for our lives. It's not wrong to desire to marry the best person that God has for you. It's not wrong to not settle for something less than God's best for you. Don't let anybody criticize you for it. You'll thank yourself. Let me tell you something. There might be hard decisions that you have to make, but... A year from now, five years from now, 20 years down the line, you'll look back over your life and you'll thank God and you'll thank yourself for making the decision to step outside of your soul and get in your spirit. Because as long as you stay in the soul, you'll make mistake after mistake after mistake. Because your soul and your flesh, they'll marry the wrong person. Your soul and your flesh, they'll make the wrong decision. Your soul and your flesh will value the words of man rather than the word of God. Get out of that trap. Break free of it. I believe it's the book of Psalms. It makes the allegory, I guess, that sin are like the ropes that bind and catch a man and prevent him from doing what he wants to do. Or woman. And I fear, not that I'm afraid, let me just say, 
I have concern. I have concern that there are many people that have grown up in church that love God, that have a zeal and a passion for God, but they have not broken free from those ropes that have bound them and caught them and prevented them from entering into the best of God. One thing, I guess two things, that religion teaches you or convinces you is that God teaches you lessons through loss and pain, sickness, disease, poverty, lack. If you take notes for these, write this down. God will never teach you a lesson through something that he redeemed you from. God will never teach you a lesson through something that he redeemed you from. Anything that was not permitted to harass Jesus is not permitted to harass me. Was Jesus sick in his body on the earth in his ministry? Was Jesus dealing with stage four lung cancer? Was Jesus using a handicapped parking space when he preached on the Mount of Olives? Did Jesus find a handicapped parking space behind the Mount of Olives before he preached that message? Was Jesus... Hmm. It doesn't make sense to me how people think of Christ, how people think of freedom through Christ. And I guess it's just they stay in that place where they never truly understand the power of God's word, the power of who Jesus is, because he is the word. And religion will teach you all this made up stuff. I'm not saying persecution won't come. I'm not saying trials won't come. Jesus said there would be. He said in this world, you will have trials and you will have tribulations, comma, but be of good cheer for I, Jesus said, have overcome the world. But people just stay in this one little place and they have a small little life and they have a small little in, unimpactful ministry. They sing songs around a campfire. They sing Kumbaya. They have the greatest graphic department. They have the coolest t-shirt, the nicest hat, the skinniest of the jeans, the easiest of the Yeezys, but on the inside, nothing. Nothing of value. Nothing of power. Nothing that will set a man free, a woman free. When they lay hands, it's empty hands laying hands on empty heads. Nothing's accomplished. For the lesser cannot impart to the greater. Understand something, I'd write this down. It's much easier to learn from instruction rather than destruction. And God's nature is to teach his children, you and I, by instruction, not destruction. Bible says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living, hallelujah, and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Understand, that's 
<laughs> That's key. The division of soul and spirit. The word of God separates the two. Of joints and of marrow. The discerning and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's Hebrews 4.12. The objective of the soul is to come into alignment with the word and the spirit. So I ask you today, what do you really want? What do you want your life to be? What do you want your covenant with God to produce? I can tell you what I want my life to be and what I want my covenant with God to produce in my life. Miracles for people that need miracles. Freedom for people that need freedom. Deliverance for those that need delivered. And an anointing upon my life and ministry to break every yoke of bondage that would dare exalt itself above my God. That's what I want my life to be. That's what I want my covenant with my God to produce in my life and in my ministry. And that only comes through holiness and righteous living. That only comes through you making decision that I am not like this world. That I don't drink from the same cup they drink from. I don't operate like they do. I will not engage in the flesh like they engage in the flesh. I will not go where they go. I will not speak what they speak. I will not allow my eyes to see what they allow their eyes to see. For my God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To set the captive free. To proclaim liberty to the captives and deliverance to them that are bound. That's what I want my life to be. That's what I want my life to be. I don't want... To just preach to preach and to sound good and for people to clap and shout and dance and nothing to happen. I want people to have miracles and to receive from God something that they'll testify of forever. That one day I'll go to heaven and someone will come up to me and give me a big hug and say, Preston, thank you for answering the call of God on your life. Thank you for fasting and praying. Thank you for praying for me and my family. Thank you for lending a hand and helping me in my time of need. That's what I live for. You understand? When I wake up in the morning, that's what I think about. I'm not interested in what the world's interested in. It doesn't entertain me. It doesn't have the same ring to it as it does for them. I want the best of God. And the world and religion will never steal it from me. And it takes you getting out of that soulish place to access that. John 2.23 Great crowds followed Jesus when they saw the miracles that he did. Great crowds. John 2.23 Great crowds followed Jesus when they saw the miracles that he did. Without miracles, without the power of God, without an active demonstration of his spirit, Christianity becomes empty philosophy. Christianity becomes life principles to live by 
that have no life in them. Miracles prove the deity of God. Miracles prove the power of God. Miracles prove that Jesus is alive. And miracles can only be produced through the lives of those led by the Spirit. You think of every miracle missionary. You think of every miracle evangelist, every miracle man, every miracle woman in the past 100 years, forever. A.A. Allen, R.W. Schambach, Kenneth Hagen, Rodney Howard Brown, Catherine Kuhlman, Maria Woodworth Etter, Jack Coe, Ted Shuttlesworth Sr. Mighty men and women of God, they were always spirit people, spirit-led individuals that operated in the miracle power of God. Miracle people are spirit people. And if you'll do what others won't do, you'll have what others aren't qualified to receive. Let me ask this for every religious little snob that likes to watch these and comment stuff and snicker. Let me ask you something. In Mark 5, what did Jesus say healed the woman with the issue of blood? Answer me that question. Did he say it was the worship music? Did he say it was the skinny jeans? Did he say it was the religious rules for the women in the church? Not to wear pants and not to wear makeup and earrings? Or did he say it was faith that has made you whole? I believe that's what he said, no? I choose to live in that place. I choose to work and live and walk by that spirit, the spirit of faith, the Holy Ghost, living a life led by that, by God's word, getting out of the soul trap, getting out of a life led by carnal nature and desire. I choose to be in that place because faith is the only way to please God for those that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hear me today. Be willing to be criticized and mocked for what you believe because the alternative is much worse. I would rather be mocked for this. I'd rather be called a tongue-talking, crazy, red-faced, sweating white boy, whatever they say. I'd rather be called every name in the book and know I please God by living a life of faith than to bow my knee to fear and bow my knee to my soul and bow my knee to fear and bow my knee to the flesh. I would so much rather live a life mocked by the world and praised by God than the reverse. Stay accountable to the word of God. Get to a place where the word of God is your barometer for success. That nothing else influences your mindset and life decisions more than the measuring stick. That is God's word. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. People 
emotions, the soul, and especially your flesh will always lead you to the wrong place, lead you astray. But God's word, which produces faith, will always light your path and show you the way. Hallelujah. Make a decision to get out of the soul trap and enter in to a life led by the Spirit and a life built upon the Word. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for this podcast. I thank you that your Word, wherever people are listening, wherever they are right now, it's going forth and it's touching their hearts. It's taking them out of a soul trap and it's taking them into a Spirit-led life and a Word-based life. I thank you, Father, that you are working by your power to minister to your people right now. Father, I love every single person on this podcast, even those that mock me, even those that dislike me, even those that are only interested in listening because they want me to fail. Father, I love them all the same. Father, I thank you that if there are those that want to break free from a spirit of religion, a spirit of control, a spirit that's bound them and made them feel restricted and that they can't move into the greater part of what you have available for them. I thank you that today's podcast would unlock them and unleash them for freedom to reign by the Spirit and that they'd walk fully and freely into who they are in you. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. I hope this podcast blessed you. I want to close this out by giving you the opportunity to give if you'd like to give. I always close the podcast this way now. And so I'm working on easier ways to give. But if you'd like to give or partner with me at any level on a monthly basis or even give a one-time gift or offering, you can do so by going to my website, which is my name, Preston shuttlesworth.com one word obviously one word I don't think websites can even be multiple words but anyways um, it's my name Preston shuttlesworth.com and on there there is a tab or a portal for you to give any uh, way you want through card or debit card or credit card and so if you feel led to give if you want to partner with me and help me reach a generation with the gospel you can do so by going there I'm working on ways that are easier to give and uh, I'm working on those right now. They should be coming up live in the next week or so. I'll be in Pennsylvania next weekend. I will be in California in October, and then in California in a different city in November. Full weeks of revival coming up. And there'll be other stuff coming up, but those are just some things I have on the schedule already. And so it's going to be a great second half of the year for you and I. I believe that in Jesus' name. And I believe God will bless you in your giving and multiply it back to you as you sow into good soil, which I believe my ministry is. And so I always close these episodes with giving you the information and the ability to do just that, partner with me in giving. You know, the Bible says that those that preach the gospel should earn their living or their wages by the preaching of the gospel. Paul talked about partnership in the New Testament. That's how Paul operated in his ministry was through partnership. And so it's a biblical idea. You know, tithing is also a biblical idea, but partnership and partnering with a traveling minister is absolutely a biblical idea. Maybe one day I could teach on that. Um, but anyways, 
I just want to close with that, giving you the opportunity to sow into my ministry through that method of my website, which is my name. And so I hope, again, this podcast blessed you. I want you guys to know I love you. I hope to be back again with you guys soon. I always come on here when I have a fresh word, and that's what I did today. And so I love you. Be blessed today. Have a great night and a victorious rest of your week. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.